So we're in week three of our series um, starting point. And week one, we said that you need to ask this question, who is Jesus? You need to, to define that if you're going to be a Jesus follower and figure out what's going on um, there. Week two, we said you have to come to, to grips with a term called sin and what that means to you. And today we've got a different question that we're going to ask. Not only does your faith have a starting point, but every um, religion, every faith um, uh, religion has some type of starting point. And so today we're going to ask this question, who is the founder of my faith? And let's be honest, most of us don't care who the founder of our faith is. It's kind of like I've been praying for a date since Monday. It's Friday. Is God going to provide or what, right? It's I didn't study on my test, uh, for my test. The test is here. And if God doesn't help me, then I'm going to fail. Help me, Lord, right? That's the type of thing, because you've heard people say, God answers prayer, well, I'm going to pray, and if God doesn't show up, then I'm going to have some issues with God. Maybe we could say it like this. If there is a God, will he bargain with me? Can, can I work with him on certain situations? What can God do for me now? History of my religion, who cares? I want to know what God is doing now. Um, and that's a big part of the reason why a lot of people have left their faith is because they don't know where their faith started. We're going to try to fix that today and help you understand that. Because when, when your faith doesn't work the way you want it to, it doesn't work when you want it to. Many people walk away from the faith tradition that they grew up with. Now, you may not realize this, but the three major faith religions, uh, ma major faith um, in, in the world, Islam and Christianity and Judaism, all have the same starting point of faith. All three traditions are monotheistic, meaning they believe there is one God, capital G, there are no other. And all three of those major faith uh, belief systems also believe that Adam was the very first human on the planet. Now, Muhammad taught that Adam was actually the first Muslim, that he was the very first prophet, and that he helped bring about the Muslim religion. Jews are like, no, 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 Adam was the very first person, but he was not a Muslim. He was not a prophet. He's the one who brought sin into our world. And we as Christians, we believe the Jews side of that story because their uh, uh, scriptures have been around so much longer. Now, um, one of the reasons we believe in Adam and Eve as Christ followers is because Jesus talked about Adam and Eve. One time he was asked, um, is it, is it, legal for a man to divorce his wife for any reason and Jesus very often asked this question he would say have you not read meaning do you not know what the scriptures saying say knowing that everybody he was talking to knew the scriptures they were taught the scriptures from the time they they were born until they were old enough to go into adulthood they knew the scriptures and so he would challenge them have you not read that in the beginning God made them male and female and that God caused them to cling to, together one man one wife and so he he um, advocated for Adam and Eve a real Adam and Eve when he talked about them. And so we're just kind of crazy as Christians. We believe that if some dude named Jesus can predict his own death, burial, and resurrection and then make it happen, whatever he says goes, right? Jesus said it. Ah, truth. Yes, we're going to believe that. It's just the way we are as Christians. Now, all three major belief systems um, believe that God created humans, that this world was a good place, and that humans messed it up. And this is kind of where we go back to last week and pick up that story. Last week, we said that we as human beings messed up the world, the whole world with our sin, but specifically, we mess up our own world with our own um, mess ups. And it's not because we're mistakers. We didn't make mistakes. We did some things on purpose to mess up our world. And if we did that, then we're what? 
sinners. We're not mistakers, we're sinners. And we have to come to grips with that. And our sins have separated us from God. We, we read this in, in the Bible. Now, all of the faith traditions believe man was good, mankind was good, but then somehow we messed it up and went another direction. And then all of the faith systems believe that when God looked down and said, I've got to do something about this mess they made, he, all chose, he chose the same starting point. All of us believe that. All of these three major systems believe the same starting point was this man named Abram. He chose Abraham. Now, his name is not Abraham when we first meet him. It's Abram, and, and God changes his name later to Abraham, and I'll tell you about that in just a minute. When God decided, I need to step in and help clean up this mess that they created, he chose Abraham to be the starting point. Um, now, Abraham is where all three major faith traditions come together, and it's where all three major faith traditions go apart. Um, at Abraham, Islam goes one direction and Jews and Christians go another and they are mutually exclusive, meaning if one of them is true, the other cannot be true. All roads do not lead to God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we go this one direction, Muslims go another direction. Um, and and 2,000 years after the Jews have all of their scriptures, and this happens with Abraham, Jesus shows up and we go that direction and follow Jesus. And Caleb and I just had this conversation this week. He said, why do the Jews not believe in Jesus? Because we look back at the Old Testament, we go, man, there's major prophecy after major prophecy, and Jesus fulfilled all of those prophecies. How come you don't believe? They believe only the Old Testament. And most of the time, the only way you can lead a Jewish person to Christ is to show them that Jesus Christ is the only one who could possibly fulfill the Old Testament prophecies that opens up the new testament to them so jews and christians go the same direction two thousand years later christians follow jesus now i want you to use your imaginations for just a moment and i want you to imagine that you're sitting somewhere in your house now you're you're having a great time and you know that that at least one of your children is somewhere in your house and you hear this sound What goes through your mind? I mean, your first thought is, did they break a glass? And then it keeps going and you're like, did they break all the glass in the kitchen? And then it keeps going and you go, did they just bring in a couple of duffel bags filled with glass and just start emptying it around? What? Because your mind goes crazy, right? And you go rushing in and you see your child has opened up the cabinet door and all of the dishes have fallen out and they've shattered everywhere and she is standing there barefooted, bleeding from the legs. What do you do? Well, I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd point my finger and say, I can't believe you did this to me. This is all your fault. You need to clean it up. Every shard of glass better be picked up in this kitchen or there will be trouble tonight. Now, you think I'd do that to my daughter? Think I'd do that to my grandson? Not a chance. But can I tell you, some of you believe God looks at you that way. You think God looks down and says, you made this mess. It's all your fault. I can't believe you did that to me. When you get your life cleaned up, if you get your life cleaned up, then call me. That is not the God that's been revealed in the scriptures. Now, 
what I, what I think I would do is I'd walk in there, I'd walk across the glass and I would, I would say to my daughter, hey, hop on my back and, and bring her out and I'd clean up all of her wounds and bandage whatever and then I'd go back in and clean up the two buff, duffel bags full of glass, right? And in fact, something like this happened the other day. I, was, I went to the mailbox and it's just a normal day. I go and get the mail and I come back and, and Caleb, I come walking in and Caleb's standing there like this and going, he's just frozen. Rachel has a broom in her hand and she's like, and she goes, don't freak out. And I said, what? And so he'd held up a couple of things and one of them fell and, and busted all over the place. And he actually was standing there barefooted. And so he's 25 years old. So I walked over and said, hey, hop on my back. I'll, I'll carry you over here. And he's like, no, I don't need you. I'm just gonna hop over there. So he hops over there. Well, a couple of things about this. First of all, God looked down into the mess of this world and he said, I gotta do something about that. But a lot of people look at what God has done. They said, no, nah, we don't need you. We don't need what you've got to offer. We'll take care of it ourselves. We're gonna reject everything that you say to us. <clears throat> and if you can believe that, that I would help one of my kids in a situation like that, because my kids have made some messes. And every time one of my kids makes a mess, all I can think of is I will do anything I can to help them get out of that mess because God created them for so much more. If you can believe that about me, then you believe I'm more compassionate to my children than the Heavenly Father is to you. And you believe I'm more godly to my children than God the Creator is to His children. And that's not true. Jesus said, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to you? How much more? See, God stared down into this mess that we had made. And, and you have to understand when he looked at this mess, this was a time when injustice was rampant. If you think there's injustice today, nothing compared to the ancient world. In the ancient world, there were no laws. It was survival of the fittest and survival of the richest. If you saw somebody, you took them. There was slavery. Oh yeah, you're gonna come be my slave because I'm more powerful than you are. And God looked down and, and said, I've gotta do something about this mess. If he really cared, if, if he really was a God who cared about his creation, he had a choice to make. He, he would either have to step in and help clean up the mess or he could just hang this sign on the world. So, you know, forget him. I'm gonna go to another planet in another universe that I created and just start all over. And, it, and if you think about this, in, in Genesis chapter six, God looks down and, and, and Genesis tells us that God regretted that he had made human beings. It says it twice in the passage. They were so sinful, so filled with their own desires that it says God regretted even creating humans and he was gonna wipe them all out. And there was one man who found favor with God and his name was Noah. And so God um, told him to build a boat. What's a boat? He'd never seen one before. He wasn't anywhere close to the ocean. It's gonna rain. What's rain? He didn't know. And, and so God told him to do this and then he brought the animals and God saved Noah, because he was righteous, he found favor in God's eyes. He saved Noah's wife and Noah's three children, uh, three sons and their wives. That's all. And he, he wiped out the entire human race because they were so messed up. And then when, when Noah and his sons and their wives all got off the, the ark, God put a rainbow in the sky and he says, never again, never again will I destroy the whole world. So we come to our guy today 
And God has already promised, I'm not going to get rid of these people, but it is a horrible mess of a situation. And so all the major faith traditions believe that God stepped into that mess and began with the same guy named Abraham. And around 1876 or BC, let's just say 2,000 years before Jesus, let's just, just round the numbers, around 2,000 years, because you can find all different numbers, anywhere from 2,200 down to 1,800 where, where Abraham lived. God decided to step into this mess, and he started with this guy named Abraham. And if you study Abraham, the first thing you're going to notice is this was not some super righteous guy. When you get to Joshua, Joshua's about to die, and he tells the children of Israel, he goes back and he rehearses the starting point for their whole faith. And he says, God chose this man, Abraham, and, he's, and Abraham lived with his father who was an idol-worshiping pagan, which means Abraham was probably an idol-worshiping pagan, and God shows up to this guy. He has to start somewhere. He shows up to this guy. And, and don't think that, that once God shows up, he gets his life together because we're told that he goes down and he walks through the land and then because of a famine, he had to go to Egypt. Well, um, Abraham's wife, Sarah, was smoking hot. I mean, she was so hot that he said to her, if we go down to Egypt, everybody's gonna see that you're such a beautiful woman that Pharaoh's gonna take you for his wife and, and he's gonna take my life, you're gonna be the wife and I, if I have to choose between my life and my wife, you're gone please say you're my sister. So they go to Egypt and sure enough, Pharaoh's servants see her and she's smoking hot and they go tell Pharaoh, you got to check out this woman. He checks out this woman and says, I want her. And this is where um, uh, Abraham's courage just welled up in him. And he said, take her. Do you think you have security issues in your relationship? How do you think, how do you think Sarah felt? Wife, life, I can get another wife. I can't get another life. See ya, honey. Wow, that's the guy. Idol worshiping, lying to save his own skin, abandoning her, his wife. God had to start somewhere. Good enough, I'll start with him. And here's what it says when God comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, now his name wasn't changed yet. It's going to be 25 years later. When he comes to Abram, he's 75 years old. We don't know how old Sarah is, but she's smoking hot still. But they have no children. God comes to him and says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Hey, Abe, I'm about to do something about all of this mess in the world, and I want you to abandon everything you've ever known because we're not going to start here where you live with idol-worshiping pagans. We're going to go to a different land. And we're going to start this whole new process. The starting point is going to be we're going to change your zip code. And then God makes three incredible promises to this idol-worshiping pagan. Promise number one, a great nation will come from you. Say, what? I got no children. This is the first promise. And here it is. It says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. Now, 25 years later, when he has a son with his wife, Sarah, God changes his name from Abram to Abraham, and Abraham means father of a multitude. Even when, when he's 100 years old and he has Isaac, don't you know people are like, father of a multitude, you got one. And God changes Sarah's name when she has Isaac to mother of nations. Can you hear the girls at the, at the water well? Mother of nations? Come on. 
Here we are 4,000 years later. And God has multiplied that nation. All of the Arab nations came from Abraham. And the Jews are like, we're the great nation. And the Muslims are like, no, we're that great nation. They argue over who's greater, but, but they all came from this one man and this promise. God wanted to address all of this sin that humans had infl inflicted upon his creation. And he says to this guy, hey, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. And, and, and Abe could have been like, for real? A nation sounds like it's gonna take a while and I don't have a while. Can I just have one, right? You know, but 4,000 years later, we're looking back at this story and everything God promised in promise one has come true, promise two. God said to this guy, I will make you famous. You are going to be known. The next part of the verse says, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Now, how many of you have heard this guy Abraham before I started this message today? Let me see your hands. Raise your hands. How many of you have heard of this? Almost everybody has heard of this. This is remarkable. Now, I want to know how many of you have heard of this guy? Cheddar Leomer. Just rolls off the tongue. Sounds like something goes on a pizza, right? Cheddar Leomer. Nobody knows him? In Abraham's day, nobody knew who Abram was. Everybody knew who this guy. He was the king of Elam. Somebody tell me where Elam is. Doesn't exist anymore. There's dirt there, but it's been wiped out. But in those days, everybody knew, do not go by Cheddar Leomer's territory because if he doesn't like it, you look at him wrong, he's gonna take you captive. He's gonna kill you. He's gonna get, if he's not strong enough, he'll get other nations to join him. In fact, other nations join him and they go against Sodom and Gomorrah. Abram's lot, his nephew Lot was in Sodom and, and they destroyed the city and they took all of the people, including Abram's nephew Lot, took him captive, just kidnapped them all. And it says that Abram with just a few hundred men went and defeated Cheddar Laomer. They've heard him in now because he wiped him out and he, he rescued his, his nephew Lot and took him back home. Here we are 4,000 years later, half a world away from where these things took place and God's promise came true. The only reason you'll ever hear of Cheddar Laomer is if you read the story of Abraham. I will make your name great. I will make you famous. And so I just got to stop right here. We're two promises in. I just got to tell you, God always keeps his promises. And here's free. It's not even on your list, and God should be. Followers of God don't live by explanations. What that means is the God who created you, created everything else, doesn't owe you an explanation for anything. That's what being God means. What followers of God need is to pay attention to the promises. We live by the promises, and there's a promise in the, in the Bible for every prom problem you will ever face. If you don't know the promise, it just means you've not dug far enough into the Bible. God always keeps his promises. Well, here's promise number three. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you, meaning all people groups all over the planet are gonna be blessed through you. Here's how it says it. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your name great. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The Jews are like, that's us. We've been a blessing. The Muslims are like, no, 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 that's us. We've been a blessing. And then the Christians are like, uh, actually, guys, it's through Jesus. That's how everybody's going to be blessed around the world. And so people are arguing over this stuff. But here's, here's the deal. No matter what you think about the Bible, whether you believe it or not, this is a remarkable coincidence because this stuff was written down 4,000 years ago and every promise 
to a childless man and his wife has come true. At the very least, you gotta say, that's a remarkable coincidence. And if, if there's that many coincidences at this starting point with Abraham, how much more of this stuff is true? A couple of chapters later, in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham is several years older. So he starts off at 75. He's, he's already been on social security for 10 years when God says, hey, let's start something new. Several years later, he still doesn't have a child. Sarah's not getting in. It's funny to me in the, in the Old Testament later, before Isaac is born, Abram says, I'm as good as dead and my wife's womb is as good as dead and you're gonna give us a child? Right, before that, He's looking around, he doesn't have a child, and he says to God, sovereign Lord. Now, God starts with an idol-worshiping, pagan, lying, cheating sucker. And by this point, he says, there's not many gods. There's one, you're sovereign. Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. That's his, that's his chief servant. And the law said, if you died without an heir, without a male heir, your, your chief male servant gets it all. And so he's saying, God, I don't have a child. You've, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be the heir. Clock is ticking. I don't have much time. You gave me three promises. I don't see one being answered yet. And he says, I want a son. This was a prayer of desperation. Anybody ever prayed one of those? I don't care about the promises. I don't care about being a great nation. I don't care about blessing all of the nations through me. I just want a son. Is that too much to ask? Verse four, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man, and I put it in there just so you remember, he's talking about Eliezer. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took them outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, that's how many your offspring will be. It's like, Abe, I know, I know what I said. God's telling him, I know what I said. But he said, you are underestimating my power. You are underestimating my promises. And you are overestimating your problems. Oh, can I get a witness? Does that sound like any of us? Oh, God, you can't really do that. I know you made the stars and the skies, but you can't intervene in my life. I know you raised Jesus from the dead, but you're not, you don't really have enough power to help me get a new vehicle or a new job or whatever. God says, not only will I make you an heir, but go look at the stars in the sky. That's how many descendants you're gonna have. God knew that Abe couldn't count them. And, and when God says this, have y'all ever been in the big city and tried to look at the stars? I'm not talking about Palestine. The other day we went out to Matt and Rachel's. We went to Elkhart and, and dude, Elkhart's not a big city in case you didn't know. We looked up, it was spectacular. When you're in the city and you say, look at the stars, you're like, oh wait, no, that's a plane. <laughs> oh, there's a bright one. Nope, that's a planet. So you can like see three stars. It wasn't like that. I'm gonna show you a picture and this is a picture from the desert of Negev, which is the area where God would have made this promise Abraham here's what it looks like that's from the promised land God says come here 
Look at that. Count them. I can't count them, God. That's how many your descendants will be. 4,000 years later. More than that. At this point in the story, something happens and don't you dare miss what happens. Because for the first time in recorded history, God is going to tell a human being how you can be right with God. If you've ever wondered, how can I be close with God? God is about to tell the very first. This is the starting point for our religion. This is where Christians and Jews go one way. Muslims go a very different direction. They're so different that they're mutually exclusive. If the Muslims are right, the Christians and Jews are wrong. If the Jews and Christians are right, the Muslims are wrong. Because the Muslims, we're going to talk more about this in two weeks. The Muslims say that that the heir um, through through Sarah's um, slave, Hagar, his name is Ishmael. They say he's the chosen one. And they say that Abraham offered Ishmael on the altar. I'm about to go to, I'm leaving for Israel this Wednesday. And I'm going to go to the Temple Mount. And on the Temple Mount, there's a, there's a Muslim mosque, and then there's the Dome of the Rock. And the Dome of the Rock, they believe, is built over where the first temple was, where Solomon's temple was, where the, where the Holy of Holies was. And we're going to go down to some rabbinical um, uh, tunnels, and, and you're going to find there'll be Jews all over the place. The Wailing Wall, they'll be down here. There's one place where they think it's the closest you can get to, the, to where the Holy of Holies used to be without going up on the Temple Mount. And there will be Jews praying there to this God that they believe in, this God that started with Abraham because it's as close as they can get to the, to the Holy of Holies. And the, and the, it, the it, Muslims, Islam says, uh, Abraham offered Ishmael. The Jews and the Christians believe that Abraham offered Isaac. They can't both be true. One's true, one's not. They're mutually exclusive. Now, here's the interesting thing. This statement we're about to read happened hundreds of years before the Ten Commandments. Why is this a big deal? Every religion you've ever heard of has rules. Follow this rule, follow this rule, and you can be close to God. This is, a, this is hundreds of years before the, the Ten Commandments. We're going to study those in just a couple of weeks. Not to study them, but study how they came about and the significance of those, significance of rules. But before there were rules... Hundreds of years. 2,000 years before Jesus Christ walked this planet. 2,600 years before Muhammad was born and reinterpreted all of the Jewish scriptures which were written thousands of years before Muhammad was born. God gives this statement, or this is, this is what the result is in Genesis 15:6. Abraham did what? No, you need to get this. Abraham did what? He believed. He didn't follow a set of commandments. There were no rules in existence yet. First time in history, God says, here's how you can be right with me. Abraham believed the Lord, and he, God, credited to him, Abraham, as righteousness. This is radical. I realize you don't have a single child, Abraham, but I'm telling you, your descendants are going to be more than this. Go back to that. Your descendants are going to be more than that. Trust me. And at this moment, Abraham looks up and he goes, okay, I believe. If you're telling me 
my descendants are going to be more than that? I believe. And at that moment, God did for him something that this man could not do for himself and something you cannot do for your, yourself. He forgave this man of his sin and he made him righteous before God. This is incredible. God said to him, I'm going to give you right standing with me. That little incident in, in Egypt where uh, you lied about your wife, that was just an embarrassment. But we're not going to talk about that. He's going to do it again just a few years later with King Abimelech. He's going to lie again. She's my sister. I'm like, didn't you learn the first time, Mo? That's Mo Ron. Mo? That's what I call people. I don't call people. Slipped out. <laughs> Sometimes that happens when I'm driving. Come on, Mo. Didn't you learn from the first time? And we're not even going to talk about what's going to happen later when, when you decide that I'm taking too long to fulfill my promises and you go and you sleep with your, your wife's servant girl and we have this Ishmael thing and Ishmael is going to be a thorn in the side of your descendants as long as there are people on this planet. We're not going to go there right now, right now. Abraham, you're right with me for one reason and one reason only. You believed in me. That's what God has always wanted, is for people to believe. First time in human history, we learn what it takes to be in right standing with God. So we're going to say it this way. Trust in God results in right standing with God. Belief in God, right standing. It's so simple and so profound that almost every person in the history of the world has messed it up because it sounds too good to be true. Because the Jews to this day, the Jewish people believe you got to become Jewish and you have to um, follow all of the laws in the Old Testament. And there's 613 of them in the Old Testament. Plus, as long as they've been alive since then, the rabbis have been adding to it. So there's thousands and thousands of rules. And if you don't follow these rules, you cannot be a follower of God. And they're like, you know, we're God's chosen people. And that's true. But they'll say, unless you become a Jew, unless you become like one of us, you can't have a right relationship with God. That's not true. And it's like they're saying, you know, well, we were born into God's family. Sorry about all you Gentiles. Not our fault that you're not born into the right place. You can, you can be adopted in, and if you become Jewish, we'll, we'll let you be kind of adopted into the family. But if you're not going to become Jewish, you're going to hell. That's what the Jews say. And then 600 years well, then about 2,000 years later, Jesus shows up and he says some things that are remarkably similar to what God told Abraham at the start. And then 600 years after Jesus, Muhammad shows up and he goes, no, 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 no. It's not just believe. You have to believe in all the prophets that have come until now and Jesus is just one of the many prophets and, and Muhammad says, I'm the latest and greatest prophet. You've got to believe in that, but it's not enough just to believe in the prophets. You have to believe in the, in the five pillars, and you have to do all of this behavioral stuff. You've got to believe right. You've got to act right. And, and when you die, you're going to stand before Allah, not God, Allah. You're going to stand before Allah, and he's going to weigh your good deeds and your bad deeds. And if your good deeds weigh more than your bad deeds, then Allah's going to say, hey, you get to come into my heaven. If they don't, too bad, and you're not going to know 
In Islam, there's no way to know whether you're saved until you stand before God and you're standing there going, I hope he gives me two thumbs up. Please, 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 but you'll never know. You also need to know that about 30 minutes after Jesus left the planet, Christians started arguing about this stuff and been arguing about it for 2,000 years. It's how we have all these denominations. People arguing over things that aren't necessarily that big a deal. One group said, well, they got to be Jewish. They got to be circumcised and they got to become Jewish and, and then follow Jesus. And, and the other group's going, how can they be Jewish? They can't follow the law of Moses. They don't know the law of Moses. And let's just tell them not to, not to uh, commit adultery and let's not eat meat sacrificed to idols. Y'all done that recently? Eating meat sacrificed to idols? You don't know. You don't know. Jesus walks in to the planet. He says, I'm God's son. No one knows the Father except me. No one comes to the Father except through me. And here's what Jesus said. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever does what? Whoever does what? What did God say to Abraham? If you believe, Jesus said, if you believe. And it sounded remarkably similar. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Isn't it strange that for 4,000 years, human beings have been arguing how to get in right standing with God when the true God told us 4,000 years ago? God revealed the secret to Abraham. He said, if you believe, Jesus said, if you believe. And it's so simple that most people couldn't or wouldn't believe it. And, and to me, it's really remarkable that that God who created, you know, that scene, those stars in the heavens, that he made, he made it so simple that the lowest rung on the ladder is so low, believe, that anyone, whoever believes, can reach it. Blows my mind. Why, why would a God do that? Because he looked at us, his creation. He said, they can't save themselves. They've made a mess. And if I don't do something, this is what God's saying, if I don't do something, there will never be anyone come into my kingdom. So God says, I'm going to give you some promises, and if you'll believe, you can be adopted. So he says it this way, the secret to entering a relationship with a perfectly holy God is to believe. If you'll say those words, I believe in God, Scripture says you'll be saved. Paul says it this way, he says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not maybe, not we'll discuss it when you stand before me and I weigh your good deeds against your bad de deeds. When you believe, you will be saved. So here's the discussion. Each week we've been asking you to, to discuss some things. And, and here's why. If you'll discuss these questions that I'm giving you at the end, not only will God solidify your faith on a firm foundation, here's what he's going to do. He's going to make you ready for a conversation with somebody who's way far from God, who, who is 10, 15, 100 steps back down the path that you have been on. 
And you're going to say, well, here, let me show you my starting point. Let me show you my faith starting point. If you'll just ask these questions, if you'll discuss them, God's going to prepare you. Because what happens most of the time, this is, this is the thing that, that makes preachers so crazy and pulls their hair out. That's what I'm going with. That's why I have no hair. You make me pull my hair out. By Wednesday, you've forgotten 95% of what I say every Sunday. Not just me, any preacher. Any preacher. If all you do is hear it, you forget 95%, and then by next Sunday, what? Mistaker. Right? So any preacher worth his salt spends 10 to 20 hours a week preparing a 30-minute meal to feed you spiritually, knowing that if you don't take something and apply it, you're going to forget it. That'll cause you to pull your hair up. So I want to just challenge you. Ask these questions today with somebody. Talk to somebody about it. Here's the first one. Which best reflects your view, uh, best reflects how you were raised? Now, not what you're thinking right now or not what you've, you know, when you came to Christ. How were you raised? And here's the first one. God accepts me based on my birth. It's who I'm related to. Has nothing to do with my actions, my belief. It is just simply my genealogy. That's the Jewish method. That's how you get right in the Jew's eyes. You got to be born or you got to be adopted into Judaism. Second one, God accepts me based on my behavior. This is the Muslim pattern. You have to act right. You got to do the five pillars. You got to go to Mecca once in your lifetime if you're a male. You got to believe what what Muhammad said 2,600 years after God appeared to Abraham. That's the way you get right with God is take the latest and greatest prophet who, by the way, admitted that he did no miracles and he admitted that Jesus did miracles. It seems to me that if a prophet does miracles, you can't do miracles. This one's better than that one. Anyway, Islam says he's the latest and greatest prophet or God accepts me if I believe. And who's the source of that one? God. Capital G, one and only. 4,000 years ago, all you have to do to be right with me and right standing with me is believe. So simple that we just mess it up. The whole purpose of this series is to give you a foundation to understand so that none of you ever walks away from God. Whether you're 10, 18, 55, whatever it is. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you that you did not leave us alone. You looked into this mess and you said, here's how you become right with God. Believe and you'll credit it to us as righteousness. There's some people in this room that probably need to believe for the first time. Pierce their hearts and and make them aware of that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.